Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. All right, so you may all recall that for the last year or so, Griselda Martinez and her family have been fighting for justice for her brother, Specialist Enrique Roman Martinez, a soldier stationed at a Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I have already covered Enrique's disappearance and his murder and how the only part of Enrique that was recovered was his severed head. This case is still unsolved. And today I wanted to remember Enrique and speak to his sister and family attorney so that they could fill us in on the investigation and what they've been experiencing in the last year. If you're new here and have no idea who Enrique is, I'd highly recommend pausing this episode and listening to episode 35 first. During that episode, I cover Enrique's case and you get to hear the almost seven minute long uninterrupted 911 call that was made by one of the campers reporting Enrique missing. So with that, let's dig in. Last year, Specialist Enrique Roman Martinez, he went camping during the long Memorial Day weekend 2020, and he vanished on the first night he was there. He was there with seven other Fort Bragg soldiers, six men and one woman. One of these people reported Enrique missing close to 19 hours after he had last been seen at midnight. Something new that I learned this week is that all eight soldiers, which includes Enrique, They were in the wrong as they were close to four hours away from Fort Bragg and due to COVID restrictions at the time, they were not allowed to be that far away from post without permission. I first reported on this case back in June of 2020 when I got my hands on the 911 call made by one of Enrique's camping buddies. The call seems innocent enough, right? Hey, we lost our friend and can't find him except when you learn that Enrique had been missing for close to 19 hours or so, and the caller claims that the group had been trying to get a hold of a ranger the entire day since they woke up at 8.30 in the morning to report Enrique missing, but they say they couldn't find a ranger. Well, that seems kind of logical, I guess, if you want to believe that, but we learned that the group of seven had actually been approached by a park ranger hours before the 911 call because they were illegally parked on the beach. The question I've been asking for a year is, why didn't someone in the group report Enrique missing to that ranger? Well, today I'm going to bring you an unfettered conversation with Griselda Martinez and the family attorney, Dustin Collier. They will chat with us about Enrique, the investigation, 
the good, the bad, and the ugly of living through a tragedy like this one. Griselda will tell us how it feels to get the knock and the gut-wrenching feeling of hearing the words, we regret to inform you. One of the new things I learned during my interview with Griselda is that Enrique was actually being medically discharged from the army within a few months of his murder. Another thing I learned was that Enrique was actually sleeping in a white Jeep when he allegedly went missing. He wasn't in a tent as we were initially led to believe. We learned that so many things were left undone and uninvestigated early on and that months, months later, investigators tried to backtrack, but sometimes it's just too late. But even with all of the mistakes and missteps by all authorities involved, Griselda and her attorney are hopeful that this case will be solved. I personally am a strong believer that this case is solvable and one day soon the killer will be exposed. But just as in Vanessa Guillen's case, we must fight for Enrique. The army and military will not solve this case without pressure. It is easy to just let things lie, but a murderer or murderers are walking among us. Somewhere in North Carolina, there is a murderer and he or she needs to be caught. Just a disclaimer that the statements and opinions shared during this episode are those of the speaker and are not the position of Mama Margot Productions. Now, I want to welcome Griselda Martinez and the family attorney, Dustin Collier, to the show. Welcome. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Today, I am joined by Griselda, Enrique's sister, and Dustin Collier, who is the family attorney. 
And so before we get started with talking about where we are legally with the case, I wanted Griselda to tell us more about Enrique because I feel like that part of his story so often gets lost. So Griselda, can you tell me a little bit more about Enrique? Yeah, of course. So um, I think that's the what I want people to know is just who my brother was and why this whole thing is so difficult. Um, as a person, my brother was very kind, uh, very gentle. He wasn't a fighter. He would never throw fists with anybody at all. Um, so he would never fight. Um, of course, maybe argue a little bit, but never fight. Um, he had a very strong sense of justice. He had no problem calling people out on things that they were doing and, you know, was, you know, wasn't confrontational, but wasn't afraid to call someone out. Um, he was very protective of his friends and family and um, very generous. And he was just, he just wanted peace. That's all he said. He's like, I just want everyone to get along. And that's all I care about, you know. Um, he always tried really hard to work and pull his own weight um hey and my mom had like this inseparable bond they loved each other um maybe they didn't always understand uh there's a little bit of a language barrier um but they just understood because they loved each other so much that it didn't matter you know my mom was always after him he was always like does my mom need anything you know just we had we shared a bank account so he was always like can you if she needs anything just get it from my account that's no problem you know and yeah he just was a very very kind person um would always go out of his way to help someone that's why this is so difficult you know to hear like that this happened to my brother mm -hmm. it's just he didn't even have any enemies you know he wouldn't make any enemies most people that did start off not liking him ended up loving him by the end of whatever it was you know so this is just really difficult just if you knew him you would know that he wasn't a fighter. He was always trying to be, you know, on everyone's good side and try to make everyone like him. And if they didn't like him, even after all of that, then he would just be like, okay, well, then we'll just go our separate ways. And that way we don't have any other beef, you know? Right. You said language barrier. Did he speak Spanish or he, did he not speak Spanish? So he did speak Spanish, um, but he wasn't as fluent. He didn't speak it as much. Mm -hmm. So certain words he didn't know how to explain to my mom. So I would come to the rescue and translate <laughs> for them, especially when they were, you know, he was wanting to go out with his friends. And my mom was like, no, you know, so it was like that. It wasn't a huge language barrier, but it was definitely a lot of words he couldn't express in Spanish as he would in English. Got but it. He could pretty much communicate with my mom. It wasn't that bad. Is he, was he the only son? Yes. He's the only boy. He was the youngest. Uh, he, okay. You know, everybody, I tell people it's, I, I'm not upset. Me and my sister are not upset. We don't have these issues about it. He's the favorite though. He was always <laughs> the favorite. He was not the accident. Um, so he was the one that my mom just prayed so much and told God, all I want is a son. That's all I want, you know, and right. she got him, you know, so he was just, that was her golden child. So it's three of you, right? Three of us total. Yes. Awesome. Uh, my older sister, myself and my younger brother. Yeah. So why did he end up joining the army? Tell me a little bit more about that, that 
So um, it's a little bit difficult because I just had this conversation with my um, younger cousin who just turned 18. And the same things that my brother had said, he said himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest thing to hear. Um, so Enrique joined because we weren't really well off at the time. Um, my mom was a single mother working three jobs, um, trying to keep us afloat. You know, um, it was really difficult when my parents divorced. It was in the middle of the economic crash. Um, my mom lost her job. My dad lost his job. My dad got deported. Um, he was driving around drunk. So the only vehicle we had, he got you know, um, impounded and we didn't have enough money. It was either in the rent or it was a car and we needed a place to stay. So it was very difficult for a really long time. Um, we struggled a lot, um, to get by. So Enrique, you know, was only 10 years old when this happened. So he saw just all the struggles, you know, um, that we went by just to get by. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did really well in school and I wasn't able to go to college because we didn't have any funding. I didn't qualify because my mom was illegal at the time. And it was just, it was a lot. Um, So my brother didn't want that. And despite the fact that the time that he graduated high school, I was already working, making a decent amount. And we weren't struggling as much. He said that he didn't want to put that burden on me or my mom and he wanted to help out too and he wanted to see his options and traveling the world and getting his school funded and so that's why he decided to go to the army he felt that that was the only way that he could help us and Mm -hmm. help himself and not only that you know they told him all the benefits that he could later on um fix my mom her free card and her citizenship a lot quicker if he was in the army, you know, they saw this whole, oh, it's, it's a great thing to have a soldier in your family. You know, he wanted my mom and all of us to be proud of him more than anything. And so he went and you couldn't talk him out of it. How much time did he have left in the army? He only had a few months left before he was coming home and he was coming home on a medical discharge. Um, he was a paratrooper. So um, he would jump a lot. The oh, minimum really? was about, yes, the minimum was four times a year. He would do like 10, 15. Oh, wow. Yes, he loved it. He would say, I'm scared, but every time it's very exhilarating. So um, <laughs> just jumping so much, he ended up um, getting a condition called a compartment syndrome, which is, I guess, it's like when your muscles don't get enough oxygen. So I guess they crap up like all the time. Yeah. So he had to have a bunch of surgery um, and he had surgery on one leg to see if that'll help. And it ended up not helping. He wasn't able to do a lot of his exercises for a really long time. So at that point, they medically were discharging him. Mm-hmm. So he had a few months left and um, yeah, he, he didn't get to come home. Oh, gotcha. See, I never, I never heard that. I never knew that he, yeah. I, I kind of understood that he was getting out. I just didn't understand um, that he was getting medically discharged. So yes. when was his, sur- was his surgery like uh, a year or a couple months before he? It was pretty, he had two surgeries. So he mm-hmm. had one the year before, I believe around June. And then he had another one, I believe 
sometime a little bit later that year, I think it was more towards the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he had two because he also had a bone spur as well. And then he had the compartment syndrome surgery. So he had a couple surgeries to try to fix his legs. And uh, yeah, it was about a year before everything had happened. Um, he was still recovering from the compartment syndrome one. That one was a little bit more recent. Mm-hmm. So he was still recovering and it was very difficult for him. He, I asked him because he was getting medically discharged, if he was going to be able to go hiking or running. That was like part of our plans after he got out of the army. And he said that it was, he could walk for a little bit for like maybe an hour, but then he got tired and he would have to sit down. So it wasn't like he was in any shape to really work really hard. Got it. Okay. So when was the last time that he was able to visit you guys in California or you guys were able to visit him before he passed? Um, So the last time he came down was sometime in June. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget the exact date, but it was late June he came Mm -hmm. um, when he got the surgery for his bone spur. And he stayed with us for about a month because he was out for a month. And so he decided to just come home and stay with us. Um, He got permission. And so he stayed home and my mom took care of him. Of course, that was her baby boy. She's going to take care of him. And that was the last time we saw him. And, um, you know, I would ask him about his army career and like if he had friends or anything like that and he would always say that they're not friends they're just acquaintances and I really want to talk about work and you know maybe that was a red flag that I just never noticed mm-hmm. never really thought anything of um things like that now I regret not pressuring pressuring him more so he didn't while he was home then he wasn't texting with anybody back home he didn't tell you about a group of friends nothing Nothing, no. And no. I would ask him constantly, you know, he would just tell me that they're just um, co-workers, that they're just people he works with, they're not really friends, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I really wanted to know about his life. I always worried about whether he had friends or not or anything of the sort, and he just never expressed it. Um, he would tell me here and there, oh, yeah, I have this friend, but nothing really too bad about it we just play video games you know um I hardly see them especially now with the pandemic and you know I I didn't think much of it okay so did you and your family or did you or your family know that he was going to go camping um last Memorial Day weekend no we had no idea I actually spoke to him the Wednesday before he went missing and um that same week and I have been talking to him because I want to know his plans. I told him my plan, you know. Um, and he said that he might have had to stay um, to do some security or some some work for a parade, a Memorial Day parade. And that he didn't want to do it. It kind of sucked. But he kind of hoped he could just stay home and play video games or watch anime. Which I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, that kind of does suck, but at least it'll get you out of the house, you know. Um, That's about it, really, for the conversation way, you know. We started talking about the car that he wanted because we were already making plans to, after, you know, he got home. Mm -hmm. So we were already talking about that kind of stuff. I really didn't ask him anything else. He really just told me that, yeah, if I don't have to do this 
thing for the parade. I just stay home and play video games. I didn't think there would be anything else. He never mentioned a camping trip or anything of that sort. And I have been talking to him at least a few times a week, Mm -hmm. especially since COVID had started. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was working, so I was at home and I figured what else could I do but bug my little brother, you know? (laughs) So, So, yeah, he never once mentioned anything. So it came to me as a surprise when we got the phone call on Sunday saying that he was missing and they were asking us if he was home. And I was so shocked because I'm like, no, he should be in his barracks. He said he wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if he didn't have to do that security. And that's when they told me that he went camping. And I, I honestly had no idea. Okay. So he lived in the barracks. Yes, he lived in the barracks. So then he went missing, uh, according to the phone call, he went missing that Friday midnight, Saturday. So they called you, they called you and your mom or your family on Sunday. And what exactly did they were like, is Enrique there? Or what was that like? Pretty much, pretty much. And, you know, I was like, excuse me. I was really taken aback. Like, I didn't understand what that question even was. And I was a little bit bothered by it too. I'm like, why would he be here? No, he's literally on the other side of the country. Mm -hmm. Why would he be here? And that's when they told me that he was missing. And we just, I'm like, what do you mean he's missing? He should be somewhere in the base, right? Like, but what do you mean missing? And then that's when they told me that he had gone camping. Um, in this island four hours from the base four hours it's not even one or two it's four hours from that base and his friends couldn't find him and i told him well have you called his phone what what do you mean he always has his phone and you know that's when they told me he left his glasses his phone his wallet he left everything and i'm like that that's definitely not my brother he always has his phone he always has his wallet he always has his glasses. That's just, no, like maybe he went barefoot, maybe he went without a shirt, but he'll definitely always take those three things. And um, it was really difficult. Um, sorry, just. Um, oh, it's okay. I can't imagine. It's like they're calling me, asking me about my brother. And this whole time, I thought he was safe. Mm-hmm. I thought that. You know, nothing could have happened to him. Um, so they told me all that. I'm like, you know what? I didn't know what the island looked like. I pictured like Hawaii, cliffs, um, maybe a waterfall. Like I pictured just like lots of trees. I pictured a forest. I pictured this just place where my brother just, he could have just been missing. Nothing right. happened to him. He could have just been missing. But that's not what it was at all. You know, and my mom and I, we waited. Um, They told us that the seven people that had gone with him weren't there yet, weren't at the base yet. So then we asked them, are you guys going to go down with them? Are you guys going to go get them? And they said, no, no, ma'am, we're just there helping the search party. And we were like, but why wouldn't you guys go? And I just told us, well, it doesn't make sense for us to go, you know. And I'm like, okay, it's Memorial Weekend. I get it. You guys just don't want to go. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to tell me that it doesn't make sense. You just have to tell me you don't want to go. And so. Who exactly you know, called you? Was it his unit or was it like Army Criminal Investigation? It was actually his unit commander. 
Mm-hmm. I believe it was his, I got a phone call from his captain, from his colonel, um, lieutenant, and um, and his first sergeant. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit difficult because they were calling my mom and my mom doesn't know English. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't answer phone calls that she doesn't recognize. So she had several missed calls. And she had mentioned to me that day that she kept getting weird calls from this phone number. And I'm like, mom. What are you doing? And they keep calling, answer it. Right. So she said, okay, so that's when we answered it. And that's when they explained everything to us. And I believe the person I spoke to might've been the captain, mm-hmm. Captain Iyer, or maybe it was uh, Colonel Alton. I, I don't remember exactly. I'm sure if I go back to my notes, mm-hmm. I'll remember, but they were the first one to just call me and tell me. And honestly, I thought that someone would have, drove to that island and just seen what was going on of course you know everyone knows the first 48 hours are the most crucial and honestly it wasn't until like two tuesday i believe they sent out a search party mm-hmm. from the army for my brother okay very stressful as far as i know on monday was when cid was notified of what had happened and that's already three days right and it's very stressful to just know how they just didn't really act on it as quickly as anyone would have. Correct, right. So now you have Dustin, who's Mm -hmm. helping to represent the family. What? So you didn't come out until after your brother had been discovered. Is that correct? Or tell me more about that. No, actually, we we tried on Monday. We were waiting for news. We just kept waiting for news. I can't tell you how much I didn't sleep. Just waiting for any sort of news. Mm -hmm. My mom, too. We just, we were waiting. And Monday, they said they had come back. And they were talking to them. And that they didn't know anything. Or to seven people, I'm sorry. And that they didn't know anything. So my mom and I just got frustrated. We booked the quickest ticket that we could. I was Tuesday, like 11 at night. We didn't get there till Wednesday. So it was incredibly stressful to get there and still nothing. Um, we went to the island as quickly as we could. Well, first we went to, you know, the army. They wanted to question us about my brother. And again, just like I told you, my brother was an unproblematic person. Mm-hmm. He didn't like problems and very kind and gentle just there's never anyone I've known that just didn't like my brother like mm-hmm. even that even if they didn't he would stay clear of them so um they asked us a bunch of questions drug use some um, whether he was violent or had any violent um tendencies anything like that and of course everything was no um so then afterwards my mom and I drove to Cape Lookout and we couldn't by the time we got there there wasn't a ferry to take us so we waited till the next day and I believe it was Thursday we looked at the island and it was not big trees it was not waterfalls it was not cliffs it was not a it was not a forest it It was was just flat exactly you can see from one side of the island to the other you could walk that whole thing maybe in a few hours it wasn't long um it just we were like, that's when we knew that something happened to him, something. We were hoping he wasn't gone, but we were thinking maybe the water took him, you know, something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but we were not thinking that what happened to him. We were not thinking about that he was murdered or killed the way that he was killed. Um, we were still really in shock because that was Thursday when we saw the island. Friday was when CID called us to go back to the base. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made that four-hour drive several times. So to me, just driving it, I just can't believe why anyone would want to go that far from the base. It was just, it's a really long ride. It's, it's crazy. And so we went back to the base. Um, and so they were like, you know, we, we need a DNA sample. So if something comes up and it is your brother, you know, we want to be able to make a, an identification. And we said, of course, you know, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Like, this is my brother. We would do anything. So we went in and we took swabs of our cheeks and me and my mom. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. And I just felt like, okay, that's, you know, they're being kind of weird. Uh and that's when they broke the news to me and my mom that they had found a um, decapitated head on the island over called Shackleford Banks. Mm-hmm. And we so didn't ha- want to accept it was him. Yeah. So they had told you right away that he that they only found his head. They didn't tell us that it was him yet. They told us they still need to identify it. Mm-hmm. That at the moment they told us the teeth weren't enough to identify him. Wow. So they had to take our DNA. And it was really hard. Mm-hmm. You just picture that, that the teeth aren't enough. So that's what they had told us at first, anyways. And, um, I'm sorry. It's just it's... no, no, no. You don't have to be sorry about anything. It was the worst. Just they were pretty much telling us. It looks like him. Oh, wow. And I didn't want to accept it. And I told my mom, let's just wait for the results. And a week later, comes back. We, we went back home at that point. Mm-hmm. If it was him, there's nothing else for us to do there. We might as well be with other, our other family and friends. When they do tell us it, it is him. Right. And so we went home, and a week later, I remember June 5th, a casualty officer and a chaplain came to our home. And it's the worst. They tell you, we regret to inform you, and we thank your family for the sacrifice that your son made. Wow. And they tell us it was identified through dental records that the 
I'm so sorry. <laughs> that the body parts found is confirmed to be Enrique Roman Martinez. And your I mom. can't tell you. Yeah, my mom just, she just fell down crying. Hearing the pain in her cries mm. is the most difficult thing I have ever experienced. She kept saying, no, not my little boy. I couldn't even say anything. I couldn't. I I couldn't cry. I couldn't. I was just shocked that this this was my brother. All that was left of my brother was just a severed head. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all he was. This boy who one time told me you were hurting my feelings. Why are you so mean to me? Delicate, like gentle boy. That's that's what was left. That's mm. what. Someone did to him. They didn't care that we wanted to see him one last time. They didn't care who he was or what a good person he was or what kind of family he had. That's it. He was just, that's all he was. And we, we just, it was very difficult. It was very hard. It was very traumatizing. It was very when I think back of those times, like I, I get the same pain in my chest, the same way my stomach drops. It's still all the same, and it's mm-hmm. and I'm trying to move past it to try to heal from it, and it just it doesn't go away. But even afterwards, you know, after they came home, after all the crying, after everything, I realized. They just told me dental records. They identified him through dental records after they told me that they couldn't. Mm-hmm. So I was very upset. And that's all they told us is that they identified his remains as Enrique Roman. The next, I believe the next day or the next couple of days, someone sent me an article that his, his death was labeled a homicide. And I didn't know that. I found out through an article um, on, I believe it was Military Times mm, or maybe yeah. Army Times. And um, I was in shock. And I was like, why didn't they tell me it was a homicide? I mean, obviously it's a homicide, but they told, they told me they were going to tell me all that and they didn't. So I called the CID agent that they had given me a contact to that he was supposed to be pretty much the one updating us and telling us everything. And I didn't like him from the jump when I met him (laughs) Mm -hmm. because he always talked in circles and I did not like that. And he would never directly answer my questions or he would look past me and talk to my mom instead of me. And I had the questions that he would never answer them. And I had asked him several times that I wanted to talk to these seven people. And he would always say, okay, and this other time, on this other time, you know, and everything I would request, he would say, oh, in a different time, or no, we can't do that anymore because of this, this, and that. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I need something. So he would always talk me in circles and wouldn't really give me direct answers, and I was very frustrated. So 
I'm confrontational. I'm definitely the opposite of my brother. And I told him, I don't like this. I don't appreciate it. You know, it's my family. We're the ones who are grieving. We're the ones going through this. The most he could have done is told us. Mm-hmm. And so he told me that I'm lucky enough to have gotten as much information as I had gotten. I was lucky enough that he was calling me and that he'll call and that people normally get monthly updates. <laughs> and I was so angry. He said that he'll let me know in a month. Wow. If there was anything else. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. I have a question for you, and I don't know if you can answer it or Dustin can answer it for me, but because your brother was murdered off base four hours off base wouldn't the civilian detectives be the lead hi yeah yeah so uh, this is a question we've had for them the entire time we've never gotten a real answer as to why it's being handled internally by the army's criminal investigation division um Mm -hmm. the homicide actually took place on uh, federal national park land Mm -hmm. Uh, so it theoretically should be under the jurisdiction of the Department of Justice right. uh, and the FBI. Right. Um, the FBI is on the investigative task force that's been created. Looks like uh, they didn't really get involved until August or September. Uh, that's when this task force was formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so CID had uh, unfettered and complete control of the investigation for about three months. And even since the FBI got involved for reasons that are not at all clear to us, the FBI has deferred to the CID and let the CID lead the investigation. Um, And we have serious concerns about that, not least of which is that it doesn't make any logical sense that they'd be in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of our specific concerns is that one of the CID members on the task force uh, is also the commanding officer who delayed reporting the disappearance for 48 hours uh, to the CID. Uh, So there was a 48-hour window that Mm -hmm. uh, everybody else who was on that camping trip had and whoever committed the murder had uh, Mm -hmm. to cover their tracks and dispose of the weapon, dispose of uh, the rest of the body. Uh, And 
you know, that window of opportunity was given to them by this commanding officer. That doesn't mean that he consciously was complicit, right. um, but it does mean that, it, in my opinion, it's inappropriate for him to be on the investigative team uh, because, by definition, that means nobody's going to be looking into his potential role and involvement in, in assisting uh, the the perpetrators right. in, in covering it up. Right, and I think I think my biggest concern is CID being in charge if the victim is military and the perpetrators are military, but that's only assuming, right? We Cause we can all assume it was one of the seven or whatever, but it could have been someone else. Right. right. And CID would have no jurisdiction over this other random potential serial killer or something. So yeah, for so me, I'm, that's really concerning. And, and I've raised this precise concern with them as well is who's looking into the possibility that it was somebody outside the group of eight. You keep telling me you don't know who it was. Right. Uh, and so it seems, you know, premature to determine that this is exclusively in military jurisdiction. And the answer I get back is that they have no indication that it was somebody outside. The that's, that's the answer I get anytime I question something they haven't looked into is we have no right. indication that that would be the case, which, of course, is circular reasoning. Of course, you have no indication because you're not looking. <laughs> well, and also when I kind of learned about the case and how you have to get on the island everyone needs to take a ferry right right my question was does cid have access to the records the ferry records you yes. know what i mean they do they do okay so they've kind of run that part down uh, maybe. yeah and you know, there, there are specific things about the investigation that have been shared with uh with me and with Criselda in okay. our briefings that we've They've asked us not to disclose publicly so as not to tip the suspects off. This is at the same time they're telling us that they don't think they have enough evidence to charge. So at some point, this gets a little long in the tooth and it seems like uh, it's a tactic for keeping us from disclosing these things mm -hmm. publicly mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, shining a light on perhaps some deficiencies in the way this was investigated. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been assured that charging decisions, if any, are going to be made are going to be made this month. Um, and I've been trying to set up a call. I've been playing phone tag with the uh, investigative team at CID for the last few weeks, but I'm expecting the next call that I have with them to be them telling me we've completed all our suspect interviews. We've completed uh, all the investigative steps that they've told me they needed to complete. And we're not charging anybody at which point we're going to be free Griselda and I to divulge everything that they've told us thus far about the investigation Mm -hmm. including all the many ways in which what they've told us gives us concern uh, that at least early on in that first month or two, when, you know, the investigation uh, perhaps could have bore more fruit, there were a series of missteps and omissions that I think uh, if the crime is unsolvable, unsolvable mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. uh, we have some clear indicators of why that became the case. Um, right. And, um, and frankly, we just have lots of concerns about how thoroughly CID looked into the Army's involvement in this case. And it's not like we're the first ones to have those kinds of concerns uh, mm -hmm. about a, a, a missing or murdered soldier in recent history. So. Correct. I was going to say, well, you guys have kind of the ammunition from the Fort Hood report, which which shined a lot of um, light on all the errors that occur. Mm -hmm. And right. I can totally see happening 
in your guys' case as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, without getting into the particulars that we can't get into for at least a couple more weeks, probably, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. suffice to say, there are a lot of parallels, uh, in, in our opinion, uh, between the way that Vanessa Gein's case, for example, uh, right. was mishandled early on and the way this case was handled early on. One of the things that I had read early on, and I think you just hit it, was you said the FBI got involved August, September. I had read somewhere that they sent out divers in September. I mean, why would it take so long to send out divers? I mean, you, you found him in May or June, and then you send out divers in September. What, what was that about? If you can so, so this tell us. Telling us that they were going to send divers in August. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. It was shortly after the FBI joined the task force. Um, I don't think they actually sent them until November, if I recall correctly. Okay. Uh, I think it was December. December. There you go. Uh, yes. I do remember it being a significant delay because we wow. just had these weekly briefings with them and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it never actually came. The suspect interview that they're supposed to be completing right now, this month in May, they've been telling us since August were imminent. Um, So there've been a lot of um, inexplicable delays. Um, And and frankly, um, it's hard to tell from where we're sitting, how much of the delay is the CID and how much is uh, the FBI? Oh, because it's kind of, you have two parties here. Well, well, there's a joint task force uh, Mm -hmm. that CID is leading. And what I can tell you is that the CID officials who brief me weekly uh, when these delays occur, you know, we we're planning to go out and dive next week and then it doesn't happen for three months. And each week they're telling me it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Their story is that it's the FBI dragging their feet that we, you know, we're pressing them to move forward and so on and so forth. (laughs) But to be fair, I'm not talking to the FBI. So I, I don't know if they would concur with that assessment, uh, that it's their fault these things aren't happening in a more timely fashion. Uh, What I can tell you is that you don't have to be, um, you know, you don't have to be a a seasoned investigator to know that if you send a dive team out uh, into the ocean uh, six months after the homicide, Mm -hmm. you are less likely to find something than if you had sent them out, you know, say a few days after. when it was first reported. Right. Cause it seems to me from when Enrique was, um, when it was reported that Enrique was missing, that there was a lot of people on the Island looking for him. And then they, they found part of him. I'm confused as to why the civilians didn't continue down that route. You know what I mean? Like, like they just stopped. Well, and I don't recall offhand Griselda might, uh, who actually located the remains, whether it was the park service, they were involved in the investigation early on, whether it was the park they rangers. Were, Go ahead. It was, um, I believe what had happened, the way they explained it to me was it was a fisherman mm-hmm. that was fishing um, oh. and noticed that there was my brother's head floating um, from the ocean um, going onto the banks. Mm-hmm the shore and um he called the law enforcement and they were there so when it got to the banks um they examined it they took it and all of that so obviously at that point um you have indicators that you need to be searching the water Mm -hmm. um 
and yet there's no dive team even contemplated for months uh, after that. Um, the uh, the other thing is the CID told us all through last summer that they had more than once on multiple occasions sent a large group of personnel, I don't know the precise numbers, but a large group of personnel to uh, you know scour the island for, for any evidence or clues. Um, and you know we took them at their word. We gave them the benefit of the doubt that they were actually conducting these searches that they said they were conducting. Um, but twice now, um, we've had reason to suspect that they didn't actually do a very thorough search of the island. Uh, the first indicator of that was that when Griselda and Maria um, first toured the island themselves, they found animal bones that the CID investigators apparently had overlooked. Um, wow. now, now, it turned out DNA testing determined that those were not human bones. Right. Um, but nevertheless, you couldn't tell that by looking at them. They had to test it forensically. So right. it raises the question, how is it that Griselda and her mother can go out there for an hour or two and find this clear, clearly relevant uh, evidence to test uh, that the CID investigators missed in their comprehensive sweep with a large group of personnel. Then, when, you know, when the FBI was going to do their dive, uh, they also did a, uh, a drone sweep uh, of the island and discovered... Um, I forget what you call it, but, you know, a little embankment, a little miniature mm -hmm. island off mm -hmm. the shore um, that had not been searched by the CID. And without getting into the particulars uh, right. of what was found there, um, suffice to say, they found a very significant piece of potential evidence on that embankment. Again, some six months after the CID assured us that they had multiple times thoroughly searched the island. Um, right. And so... Yeah, we have we have plenty of reason to doubt that the CID actually did search the island thoroughly. Even the island itself, setting aside the the delays in sending a dive team. Right. So I have questions about this investigation kind of early on. Yeah. So Enrique had his own tent where he left everything, right? His glasses. Was there ever is there any do you have any indication if actual police investigators went in to search his room to see if there was other people's fingerprints or anything like that to see who would have been kind of ruffling with his stuff or did they did his alleged friends take the tent down like what what's that tell me more if you can i i, I do know a little bit about um <clears throat> the question regarding his room search i don't know the specific answer to your question about who took his tent down uh, but certainly we do know that his personal effects some of his personal effects ended up in police custody. So presumably, uh, presumably the park rangers or whoever was first responder uh, gathered those materials. I, I don't think I can get into the details right now of the room search uh, issue. The, the tent search, right? The tent. Uh, well, as far as the tent search, I just don't know the answer to your question. Okay. Of, of who's but his room. Search. But mm -hmm. as far as his barracks back right. at the base... Um, right. There are some issues around that that I, I don't mm. think we can get into the particulars in okay. just yet. Mm -hmm. um, but suffice to say, there's some red flags there, too. Oh, I'm not surprised. What about um, the 
cars. So I believe it was, is it one or two cars? Because it was eight people. Was there any indication that the forest rangers were like, hey, let me search your guy's car or? Yeah. Um, I don't believe that there was any vehicular search uh, conducted before these individuals returned to base. Mm. Okay. It's another thing that we're concerned about with that 40 hour delay in reporting to the criminal investigation division. So, right. so for the first 48 hours, the commanding officer is treating it as an AWOL situation, um, mm-hmm. which, of course, is exactly what happened to Vanessa Guillen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the first 48 hours, they're treating it as though Enrique is AWOL. So nobody is going to the base to escort. I'm sorry, going to the island to escort these individuals back to search their vehicles, mm-hmm. to question them or interrogate them about what occurred. They had 48 hours to pack up leisurely clean up whatever they needed to clean up, drive mm-hmm. back on their own volition, stop anywhere they would like to dispose of evidence uh, mm-hmm. on the two or three hour drive back that they had, return to base, clean their vehicle, whatever they needed to do. They had 48 hours to do it before mm-hmm. anybody asked them a single question about Enrique. What's the ultimate story of where your brother slept, the tent situation, the car situation? Tell me about that. So it was, there was two cars. It was a white Jeep and a blue pickup truck. And they both went. So my brother went in the first, in the white Jeep in the morning. They were the first ones to arrive on the island. Um, It was four in each, um, in each vehicle. Um, So you could see my brother in the cameras of the, um, the ferry, the little store, you could see him, he gets on there with them and they, you know, go to the island. Um, they arrive at their campsite. So you saw the video? Uh, no, I didn't get to see the video. Um, gotcha. The actual, the park ranger, she explained it to me so I, I can kind of envision. And, gotcha. Um, so they went to the island, they got to their spot um they were um driving off with the car so he was holding on to the car and just there being a bunch of dumb boys i mean what can i say you know and so they got to the um campsite and then the blue pickup um came in later a couple hours later i think and they were just camping i mean um i don't think they meant for me to see pictures but i saw pictures of them you know my brother's still alive at sunset and everything um so there were those. And um, I guess later on in the night when I was ready for people to go to bed. Also, I might actually want to mention there was a bunch of storms going on at the same time. But, you know, in North Carolina, it was really hot. It was humid. Actually, the rainwater was hot. And mm-hmm. so was the, the water. It was really weird. Um, so it wasn't cold or anything. Um, so there's a lot of rain. There was a storm. And so they got into the cars to wait out Mm -hmm. the storm um so then my brother ended up sleeping in the car and um in the white car how do you know was it the white oh they they told me yeah no way and um he had all when you say sleeping do you mean like it's like midnight and he's sleeping or 11 o'clock yeah yeah yeah. like going to bed that's what they told the investigators anyways right so i'm going to that's what the group of kids not kids what's the group the soldiers told the investigators correct so that my brother had stayed in the white Jeep and slept in there with his, you know, and had his belongings in there. Um, 
So as far as the story goes, that's how it went. One of the tents, I think, fell down. Mm-hmm. And that's why my brother ended up sleeping in the in the Jeep. And the other one was up, but someone was sharing with someone and then another. And there was just an empty tent. That was collapsed or something. Yes, yes. So then when uh, when the 911 caller says that your brother walked off, he they're they're basically stating he left the Jeep without shoes, left his wallet, his phone and everything else and walked off. Pretty much. And my brother can't see without his glasses. He really can't. Um, I just don't believe that at all. Like, you know, of course, that's an obvious lie. My brother cannot see with his glasses. Um, So I just I for a second, don't believe that there has to be something else, you know, in the autopsy report, you'll read that he has missing patches of hair. Um, Mm -hmm. You'll read that he has, um, he had um, like a bruise on his cheek, on his left cheek. Um, Mm -hmm. He had cuts and those parts where they just couldn't cut his head off. Right. Um, But right where it was like some, yeah. But to me, that just, that sounds like a fight, you know, sounds like someone hit him in the face mm-hmm. so did the, the i'm assuming these seven people plus and get they're all lower ranking right so they reported it to the police did they did do we have any indication they actually called their leadership to let them know and think it disappeared yeah so um so first of all they were not all rank and file there was a sergeant on the trip they oh. have refused cid has refused to disclose the identity of this person, but that person uh, presumably would have been in charge. Um, mm-hmm. And that person already was engaged in misconduct for their role by allowing this trip to go forward at all, uh, because all of the troops had been ordered to stay on base because of the pandemic. What? Uh, so they that weren't. That is th- new. I did not know that. I thought they were allowed to be there. No, they weren't. They were supposed to stay within a 50 mile radius of the base. Oh, and so they were gosh. already violating orders to be there in the first place. Okay. Wow. Including mm-hmm. the sergeant that was. Right. Um, and uh, so we do know that um, that evening, uh, the evening after, um, Enrique's presumed homicide. It's presumed he was killed in the middle of the night. The next Friday. evening, they call 911. One right. of the individuals on the trip, one of the rank and file, calls 911 and re- reports Enrique missing. And we also just know uh, from the recordings and from our discussions with the park rangers that this person lied to the 911 dispatcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, apparently just before or just after that phone call to the 911, I think it's just after, they picked up the phone and called their commanding officer back at the base to also report Enrique missing. This is the person that I was alluding to earlier, sat on that information and didn't report. This is a Saturday night mm-hmm. on Memorial Day weekend, Saturday night. Uh, doesn't report it to CID until Monday afternoon. Got it. But um, calls the family to ask if he he's there i believe it's a different individual that calls griselda um i believe i got several calls from captain Iyer and colonel otan um and then first sergeant rivera uh they were the ones who had called us um i spoke to cat or the first sergeants uh, so the first time i spoke to 
Colonel Tan, and then the last time I spoke to the first Sergeant Rivera. Okay. So, uh, so there is overlap uh, because mm -hmm. Colonel Otan is the one who received the call on Saturday night from from the individuals indicating that Enrique was missing. And I specifically asked Colonel Otan in one of these briefings, you know, why did you um, why did you not report this to CID until Monday? And uh, you know, why didn't you question them more about where Enrique was? Why didn't you? Uh, do anything to intervene at that point, setting up escorts and you know, sort of locking down the crime scene, securing the barracks, all these sorts of things that you would do uh, if you're trying to immediately start to investigate it as a crime. Um, and his response was essentially that he had no reason to question them uh, at that point when they reported Enrique missing, uh, to which I pointed out that actually he did have reason to question them because they were already violating Base right, orders the COVID. Mm -hmm. by being by being there in the first place. Um, so yeah, you absolutely had reason to be suspicious uh, of what they were doing out there and what they were telling you. Um, right. And I think the real problem here, it, it, you know, at worst, Colonel Otan is you know somehow complicit. Okay, but I think that's probably unlikely. Right. Um, I think it's more likely that Colonel Otan just doesn't have the appropriate training to handle the situation. And that that's a real problem systemically that right. when a soldier goes missing, the assumption shouldn't be, oh, they probably wandered off or decided to run they're away. Drunk, they'll be, they'll show up. Right. Run away from the military one month before they're medically discharged. Right. Um, but actually let's, let's start from an assumption that they've gone missing like normal people go missing and we should be right. looking into how that happened. And the people who last saw him, we should maybe ask some questions uh, um, right. instead of just taking their word for it. Um, and so um, I do think that uh, the report that came out, uh, you know, of Congress doing, or I'm sorry, out of the uh, DOJ and Congress dealing with mm -hmm. Vanessa Guillen stuff, it looks like they're starting to make some of those changes, thankfully. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I do think there's there's more to be done. And of course, none of that can sort of go back in time and handle this case appropriately. It, it just can't be done. Right. Now, do you guys, I, so my podcast called Military Murder, I get a lot of, I guess you could say anonymous tips, um, but people just saying, oh, you know, people are silenced. A lot of people in different cases, I'm not talking about Antigua's case, but a lot of people are silenced. They're told, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Don't, don't comment on Facebook about this. Um, have you guys heard of anything like that happening in this particular case? Oh um, yeah, for sure. My, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a detective, but I want to know what happened to my brother. Like, I need that. Right. And so I've talked to just, I've reached out to people that were in his unit. I've reached out to friends, everyone. And they, you know, the commander told me that they have told the unit not to gossip about it and not to talk about it, which I told them I want them to talk about it. I want people to you know, step forward. I want someone to not be able to hold it in and tell someone and that person report it. That's, that's what I want. Like as much as they're talking about gossip, that's when people are still alive. My brother's dead. Like I need to know what happened. So they had told us that they had told their unit, they're not allowed to talk about it. And even then me talking to the people in his unit, his friends, you know, that, um, 
we met after, you know, his passing and everything. We've asked him, like, you know, like, well, what's it like? Like, you guys work with him or, you know, and everybody's like, well, we're not allowed to talk about it. We've been told that we're not allowed to talk about it and it's really strict. We'd get in trouble. Um, I just feel like that's, that's terrible. Like, you know, uh, everyone needs to share it with someone at some point and they're, you know, hopefully it lands on the right ears that they report it or they give them enough of a reward that they'll go and report it something, you know, but I do know that um, in my brother's unit, they've been told that they cannot talk about it. Wow. So what has the last year? So uh, I'm assuming everything's being kind of quick. I know that you and your family have been trying to keep your brother's case in the limelight. I want to say, that sounds weird, right? In the limelight, but you want to keep it in the media. You want to keep it out there because you don't want people to forget, right? That's yes. how cases hold for years at a time. And you guys have done a pretty good job. I mean, you guys are fighting the pandemic. You guys were fighting. Um, I mean, even the Vanessa Guillen case that was happening right before your brother's case. And then, you know, that's kind of coming to a resolution kind of now. But then on top of that, then you have right after, I think it was actually right at the same time, you have the George Floyd um, thing that was happening. And then, and you guys now are a year in and it's a cold case. So what other things are, are you and your family doing to keep kind of um, the word out there? Or what can you tell my listeners to do to keep the word out there, to keep this case alive so we can find out? who did this to your brother and get justice? Yeah. Um, I know I, I took a little break because the holidays were extremely um, difficult for me. Um, mm -hmm. My birthday is a little bit after, and um, that's extremely difficult for me. So I, I took a break and I didn't do as much, which, you know, I, I felt guilty about, but I know I needed it at, at the time. Um, all I could ask your listeners more than anything is share his story, you know, um, tell a friend or two to share the story. Um, a little goes a long way. Um, there's nothing that's it's about to become a cold case. That's the hardest thing. It's like seven people and it's about to become a cold case. And all I can ask everyone is to share the story, tell a family member, tell a friend to share it, to publicize it. Just get the word around, you know, his autopsy report is out there also. And mm -hmm. it's terrible what they did to him, everything, you know. And even if you read those autopsy reports, it points to there was an altercation. My brother was beat up before, you know. Mm -hmm. And even then, even after he was gone, he was still like beat up and all I can ask your listeners is, you know, number one, share, share the story, have a friend or two share the story. Um, that's all I could do right now. And I guess the number one is I want a congressional investigation, not mm -hmm. only because it's just my brother. It's not just my brother. It's been several other deaths at Fort Bragg and it's that's as right. bad as Fort Hood. And I think it needs to be exposed. They might think they're the number one base because they have the 82nd Airborne and all that, but that's all for nothing if your troops keep dying, especially killing each other. And right. um, yeah, so that's all I could do is just share the story. Um, 
ask for a congressional investigation, it's very simple. You just email, um, call, or send a letter to your congressman or woman. Um, I really want there to be a congressional investigation. There's just way too much going on on that base. Um, a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm a little bit afraid to mention, but there is a lot of stuff going on out there and it definitely needs to be investigated. Um, there's a lot of deaths that are overlooked or marked as suicide. And mm -hmm. I can only imagine the pain of those families as well. Um, what I would also like to do is I am changing the status of my GoFundMe to now fund a private investigator. Um, I would really like to get a, a good one, you know, one that's really devoted and really good. So I know that they're not cheap. So I would mm -hmm. like if people could help me out by donating to our GoFundMe cause. Okay, awesome. And I'll put a link to your GoFundMe yes. on my show notes so that everyone has that information. Yes, I'll send it to awesome. you. Okay. Is there anything else you want my listeners um, to know on the way out? Yeah. Um, if you're active duty, if you're a veteran, if you hear anything, if you're not in the army or in the military to just report, um, mm -hmm. something, anything, uh, there's an anonymous tip line as well. Um, that's all I could ask for. Um, I know that they asked the unit not to talk about it, but it's just, it's been so long. It's been a year and me and my family are so suffering over the loss of my brother. All right. Well, thank you so much, Griselda, for um, chatting with me today. This has been a long time coming, uh, but I definitely wanted to do something here coming up on the anniversary of your brother's disappearance and ultimately his tragic murder at such a young age. Um, and I'm, I'm with you. I want to keep fighting. And, and I feel like whoever did this needs to pay because I'm not saying it's someone in the military, but if it is, I don't want to serve next to them. You know what I mean? I don't think yes. they sh should be serving any longer. Um, and if it's not someone in the military, they need to be in jail too, because this is not okay. It's not, you know, and like I said, um, my brother, honestly, he did not have a boat in, bad boat in his body, like mm -hmm. at all. He was such a great person. He, he really wanted to help people. And, you know, a lot of the times when I do these marches and protests, I tell people my brother would have been there for Vanessa Gian. He would have, mm -hmm. he would have been telling everybody this is, you know, bullshit. Like no woman has to go through it. He was just, he really had a really strong sense of justice. And even then, I mean, there's a story that, um, that I tell people about when he was in the army, actually a little bit before this happened. Um, mm -hmm. I guess their whole unit threw a party and there was a lot of, you know, um, there was a, illegal drinking, like underage drinkers, you know, mm -hmm. and pretty much everyone got in trouble for this party. And so my brother was one of the ones that you know, there was one person in particular that got into the most trouble. And um, my brother went forward and said, you know, I don't feel right that he's getting in trouble for this. Um, there was a lot of us and, you know, I'm one of them. And I think that it should be split up. I think that the mm -hmm. punishment should be split up. And so he went forward and took some of that punishment. And I just think that just goes to show that, I mean, my brother's an idiot. Uh, who would do that? <laughs> 
but he just mm-hmm. had such a strong sense of justice, such a strong sense of camaraderie that he just couldn't do that. He couldn't let his friend get in trouble for just and bear the whole weight, you know? And so right. my brother went forward and did that. And if that just doesn't explain the kind of person my brother is, then I don't, I don't really know what to tell people. He just was not a bad guy. Right. That's awesome. So I know that Dustin was talking about like there should be more information coming soon. Do you think that th- that you guys are getting closer? Or do you guys think that three or four weeks from now you'll just be disappointed? I know I'm going to be disappointed. I know that my mom is going to be disappointed. I know. I already know. I, like Dustin said, they waited so long to do everything. To me, it doesn't make sense. At the mm-hmm. time, they were telling me it's subpoenas, it's warrants, it's this and that. And I'm not an investigator. The only thing I had to, I could do was trust them. They were the ones handling it. And now that I know that my brother's case is getting cold, I know that they didn't do what they could. They told me they did daily. But did they really? I just, I don't think so. I mean, I'm the kind of proactive person. If I want to get it done, I will get it done now and I will figure out a way to get it done. Right. So, no. No. All right. Well, thank you so much. Can you tell me what my listeners can do or who my listeners should contact if they have information about the case? Well, certainly if anybody has information about the case, you should contact the authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would suggest contacting CID and the FBI. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't assume that one or the other is going to relay the information uh, to anyone else. Um, and uh, so that's the Army Criminal Investigation Division in North Carolina. Uh, I, think, I think they're based out of Raleigh, if I recall correctly. Um, and then there's an FBI office, I believe, also in Raleigh. Uh, that they would contact. We would also love to hear about it too, but we don't want to, you know, in, impede any law enforcement investigation. Uh, our law firm's number is 415-767-0047. Uh, and so we'd welcome any information about that. My extension's extension. On there. Extension, um, okay. And if anybody wants to email us uh, with information, they prefer email my email address is dcollier, that's D-C-O-L-L-I-E-R, mm-hmm. at collierlawsf.com, that's C-O-L-L-I-E-R-L-A-W-S-F, as in San Francisco.com. So tell us a little bit more about kind of what you do as a lawyer, potentially like if we have listeners who might need a lawyer for something yeah. particular, what can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so our firm uh, primarily handles uh, employment and personal Mm -hmm. injury cases. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, wrongful death, uh, car accidents, bicycle accidents. We do uh, a lot of whistleblower retaliation work, as I mentioned earlier in the call. Uh, We do employment discrimination work. Uh, We've got a strong emphasis on disability discrimination, but we also handle race discrimination and gender discrimination, sexual harassment cases. So the full gamut really of employment related issues, Uh, unpaid wages, for example, we've got a failure to pay minimum wage case right now. Um, So anything employment or personal injury related falls, uh, you know, right in our wheelhouse. This case, uh, we got involved 
frankly, up until this point on a pro bono basis, just to sort of help the family make sense of what's going on Mm -hmm. and try to get answers. Mm If, you know, depending on how the evidence shakes out and and we should get more access to it as the investigation winds up, there's, uh, these are obviously public agencies doing the investigations. So they're subject to public records act requests, uh, FOIA requests. So they can legitimately hold back certain things that are um, sensitive uh, and connected to an ongoing investigation. Correct. But once they tell us that the investigation's over and they're not going to charge anybody, that justification for withholding a lot of this material sort of falls apart. And we should be able to get access to more of the information they have not shared with us. Um, <laughs> You'd be surprised. And, <laughs> right. And um, if it looks to us like, um, you know, there is a potential for civil liability uh, on the part of uh, any potential perpetrators or on the part of the military for the way they handled this, uh, any of that sort of stuff. Those are angles we're going to be exploring um, as as we continue our investigation because we're not uh, we're not going to close up shop just because they did. All right, you heard it here first, y'all. The family is still seeking justice. They may have been quiet very recently, but it's not because they have given up hope. They have just been sad and tired, and that is understandable. This is where we step in. The family has switched their GoFundMe page from Justice for Enrique to now asking for donations that will help them raise the funds to hire a private investigator. It's amazingly shocking how many cases nationwide have actually been solved by private investigators, someone who has no skin in the game and someone who is just looking for answers. It's amazing what can happen when you don't have to protect higher ups and their careers. When someone just pushes up their sleeves and starts from ground zero without any perception or beliefs on who done it. I am still shocked to hear from both Griselda and attorney Dustin that they have actually been told by military authorities that the authorities don't believe that any of the seven camping buddies are involved because none of them had any beef with Enrique. Okay, but prove it. It's like Looking into any murder of a spouse and saying it couldn't have been the spouse, they were the perfect couple. Come on! Sadly, that's not how life works. Sometimes it is the best friend. Sometimes it is the neighbor. And sadly, sometimes it's the stellar soldier who commits the crime. Now, listen, I'm not saying it was one of the seven. I'm just saying whoever is in charge of this investigation has to have an open mind. And if they need to start back at ground zero to kind of figure out what's going on, then they need to go back and they need to look at their notes and start there. Now, if you'd like to make a donation to the family, you can find the family's GoFundMe link in the show notes. You can also do as Griselda asked and write to your local congressman and ask that an independent investigation be conducted just as it was done in Fort Hood. And listen, this independent review can encompass so many other things because Fort Bragg, just like Fort Hood, has had its fair share of murders, suicides, and accidents in the last year. Finally, if you have any information, any information, however insignificant you think your tip is about Enrique's disappearance and subsequent murder, please Stop and contact Army CID 
at 910-396-8777. Or you can contact the military police desk at 910-396-1179. Now listen, if you fear that your tip will go nowhere if you just report to these authorities, please feel free to simultaneously send tips to the family attorney, Dustin Collier, at D-C-O- L-L-I-E-R at C-O-L-L-I-E-R-L-A-W-S-F dot com. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my boot camp and higher fan club members. The music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Shh, let's work another podcast.